0: In a world called Craig's List.
1: Being from Earth as you are and using as little of your brain as you do, your life has pretty much been devoted to dealing with fear. Everybody on Earth deals with fear. That's what little brains do. Fear is like a giant fog. It sits on your brain and blocks everything. Real feelings, true happiness, real joy. They can't get through that fog. But you lift it, and buddy, you'll run for the ride of your life.
0: <laughs> that
1: was a literal quote from the movie.
0: That was a literal quote.
1: <laughs> <laughs> who did I sound like?
0: W- were you rip torn? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Rip Torn's character who says that?
1: Yeah, but I wanted. Okay. to re- I wanted to read it because it's the. It's like the whole movie. That's what the movie's about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh yeah if you say so
1: you don't think so uh
0: i don't know i don't know that i was listening to the quote as uh just enjoying the music of your voice
1: oh well he's talking (laughs) about fear and how getting past fear is what brings you real joy and that's what the movie's all about
0: i think that is true
1: do you think that's true
0: (laughs) (laughs) well we'll talk about it
1: all right hi craig hi carla How's it going?
0: (laughs) Good. Good. I feel like I haven't seen you in three days.
1: I know. It's been three whole days since I was in L.A. I'm exhausted. I'm so tired.
0: Oh, no. What's going on in Portland?
1: It's just been a long week, and it's only Wednesday. I want to cry. Not because I'm sad, just because I'm tired.
0: (sighs) Well, I I don't want to cry. I don't want you to cry either.
1: I know. I'm just saying. I'm tired. Things are fine. It's just a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: It feels like Portland weather in LA though. Does it? Yeah, we had rain yesterday and it's Ooh. been it's been overcast and it's not going to hit 70 for a while. Like it's like mid 60s and kind of gray.
1: And one week ago it was 101 degrees.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: That's so crazy. Oh man.
0: So you brought a little Portland weather with you to L.A. When I came to visit.
1: Yep. And
0: it stayed that way. Yeah.
1: Sure did. Now I'm back in Portland. It's been kind of sunny here, actually, which is funny. Hmm. But it's supposed to start raining tonight for the next few days. So that's the weather update, everyone.
0: (laughs) This has been a Craigslist weather update. (laughs) But this isn't a Craigslist episode. It's not. It's a Carla's List episode. It
2: is. (laughs)
0: what (laughs) what are we talking about today
1: oh right i have to do this part huh uh today we are discussing the 1991
0: so formal
1: feature film of comedian and actor and director and writer albert brooks defending your life
0: wow do you have hosting experience
1: i might uh i love this movie this is such a fun movie for me i've seen it Many, 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 many times. And so, when it when you said you wanted to do another Carla's movie, this is the one I picked. Yeah. This is one that I could watch over, like What's Up Doc, very much in the same vein. Like, I could watch this over and over, and I have. Um, and whenever I'm, like, grumpy or just want something on in the background while I'm doing other stuff, I'll totally put this one on.
0: It takes the grump away.
1: It does. It's real funny. And and just fun and, like, sweet. It's very sweet, which is kind of surprising, coming from Albert Brooks.
0: Now, this movie could also be uh, the first episode of the Marathon.
1: It could, but I feel like if we're going to do the Marathon, we should probably do it in some sort of order, right?
0: Chronological?
1: Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. You're the expert on this stuff, (laughs) on this list stuff.
0: (laughs) I I don't know if I'm the expert, but...
1: I mean, this is a... Cause I love Meryl Streep. If you know, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I'm really tired. So words are going to come out weird. Um, but, Oh, so when people ask me what my favorite Meryl Streep movie is, this is one that I very often will say, depending upon what kind of mood I'm in, which is funny because it's not like, uh, an over the top Meryl Streep performance. She's not known for this role necessarily, but yeah. I just really, uh, I just really enjoy her in this movie and I can always appreciate her. Um, um, as an actress in all films, but I can't always appreciate her films.
0: <laughs> is it crazy? Sense? Is it, that does make sense. Is it crazy to suggest that this might be one of the roles that's closest to who she is as a person?
1: Well, I have that in your Qu- Craig's quotes, Quaig's quotes. Okay.
0: <laughs> and by Quaggs quotes. <laughs> 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 Patent.
1: Um, I don't know. I bet she's a little more feisty in real life. Uh, she's uh-huh. very sweet in this movie. Um, and kind of like has the has the whole joke is that, okay, hold on, everyone, <laughs> things are <laughs> thoughts are overwhelming my brain. <laughs> uh, but the idea not is so
0: easy to <laughs> host this podcast, is it?
1: I didn't say it was. Um, <laughs> the whole idea is that Albert Brooks dies, and then he goes. To what J-
0: spoilers?
1: <laughs> he goes to Judgment City. And Judgment City is a place where you're put on trial and you're put on trial based on, uh, the things that you did in your life out of fear. And so, um, if you, if you aren't, fa- if you're found innocent, I guess, or not guilty, I guess, then you get to go beyond the next level of things. If you're found guilty, then you have to go back to earth. And so the joke between Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks's character is that he's he's there um and I think he's I forget how many days he's on trial but he's on trial for a while and she's had like a fantastic life where she's always been very brave and uh so the dynamic is is that she's kind of like the perfect person and she's for sure going to move on to the next level and he's really struggling trying to move on to the next level.
0: Yeah, it's structured like a court case, right? Where you have your, uh, your attorney who's kind of pleading your case. You've got the prosecutor and you've got judges that are listening and then you're, you're watching clips from your life and, uh, making arguments on either side of how you behaved in those situations. Yeah.
1: And so going back to the Meryl Streep thing, um, I looked at this article that was published a few years ago, I think in Vanity Fair. Oh, I should write my sources down uh, <laughs> with Albert Brooks. Um, and he talks about defending your life in it and how it's become a cult classic and how it really has withstood the test of time. Um, he feels like all all of his other films are very much of their time and couldn't be done today. But he feels like this is a timeless story. Um, Interesting. so he talks about Meryl Streep. So I'm going to read what he said. Is that okay?
0: Hey, this is your show.
1: Okay. I'm going to read it. You don't um, need
0: that's permission for anything.
1: Albert Brooks said, I met Meryl Streep at a party years and years ago. I think it was at Carrie Fisher's house. Meryl brought so much reputation to her life because of all these iconic roles. But when you met her, she was just so easygoing and natural. She was aware of my work and she asked what I was doing. I told her I was making this movie, and she sort of jokingly said, is there a part in it for me? I went home and thought, okay. It took a lot more from the producers to make that happen, but the person that I wanted for that role was the person that I sat and talked to at that party. So my job was to provide an environment where she could just hang out. She's the greatest character actress that ever lived, and she didn't get a lot of opportunities just to hang out, so that's what I thought could be great. She's playing somebody who's had a perfect life, and she automatically brings that to someone who is as close as you could get to that, someone who seemingly has had a perfect life. So all that worked. So, I guess uh, the answer to your question from Albert Brooks's point of view is yes. This is very much like Meryl Streep in real life.
0: <laughs> I thought so. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. So, uh, her mom. I'm I read, sure. She- I read a thing where she said that her mom, when when her mom saw postcards from the Edge, she said that that was the closest to Meryl Streep's personality in real life. So, interesting. There's, there's her mom's point of view. <laughs>
0: Well, again, like if it's if it's based on him just having a casual, you know, shoot the shit conversation at a party, you know, she's only showing one side of herself. I'm sure she's much more complex right. as a person, has many more sides. But, uh, you know, he wanted that uh that casual, you know, friendly side of her.
1: And she's a character actress. So I think that the reason watching this movie, you would feel like, oh, this must be who Meryl Streep is, is because. You don't often just get to see Meryl Streep being a normal person. <laughs> yeah. She's always has has some sort of accent or strange physical, not strange, but a different kind of physicality or something happening where she makes herself very different than who she probably really is.
0: Well, looking at her roles in the 80s, like not only were they dramas, I mean, they're some of the heaviest movies yes. that you can think of, you know uh sophie's choice silkwood ironweed mm-hmm. fucking ironweed i mean that is that is some depressing shit you yeah. know uh but then i kind of looking at her career she uh she did four movies in a row that were she devil yeah postcards from the edge defending your life and death becomes her yeah so I wonder if that was a deliberate strategy on her part to just kind of do something lighter after all of these years of really heavy dramas.
1: I think it was. I mean, from things that I've read that she has said about that time, that was when she moved from the East Coast to LA, like those those years. She lived in LA. Okay. And she was, I think, purposely trying to broaden her casting ability I guess the roles mm. that she was playing and have more fun with things um but these these movies none of those movies did very well at the box office maybe death becomes her was probably probably the one that did the best but in terms of gross but i i think it was panned critically mm. um
0: i've never seen that by the way
1: it's i need to watch it again it's it's really i liked it a lot as a kid but now that I know that it's like a, a satire about growing old in Hollywood, now I really want to see it because I'm curious how I would respond to it as an adult. Um,
0: Because you're growing old in Hollywood?
1: I'm not. I'm in Portland.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, no, just because I would understand the the implications of that more. Aging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen it in years, so maybe we'll do that one sometime soon. (laughs) Anyway, back to defending your life. Uh, so yeah, so, um, there's, uh, some really fun supporting character actors in this. Rip Torn, which you, who you already mentioned, he plays Albert Brooks's defense attorney and he's hilarious. He, um, it's, I think it's so funny how the defense attorney, just kind of is like, it's okay, buddy. No big deal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Riptorn makes this movie for me. Like
1: really funny in it.
0: Yeah. I mean, Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep are both great in it as well. The, the whole premise of the movie is really smart and interesting and, and different, you know, there's a lot of afterlife movies, right? And this is maybe the most unique world that I've seen created in the, uh, for something it's about the afterlife. Right. Um but uh Riptorn is just he is uh like just his buddy more than anything, uh even though he's a big head and uh Albert Brooks is a tiny head. Right. right. <laughs> or a tiny brain. Tiny
1: brain, yeah. Little
0: brain. Uh and his whole like persona as the lawyer is just like, this guy's awesome. Like, look yeah. at all these things that he did, you know. Yeah. Which is which is probably the tack that he has to take with every client that he has, you know. Yeah. Uh and then Albert Brooks's reactions to him are just so great too. And then there's one day where Riptorn has the day off and Buck Henry comes in mm-hmm. as his, as his substitute attorney and he does nothing to, <laughs> uh, stand up for him at all. Yeah. And so like the contrast between his character and Riptorn's is so funny, I think.
1: And it's so funny too because it's not like, uh, he's not doing it to be mean to Albert Brooks. He's not like, I'm going to get you, you know, he's not being manipulative or malicious. He's just, he's just, he he doesn't feel like he needs to be defended. He just,
0: he's he's got a different style.
1: Yeah. He just does it with a (laughs) smile. Nope. We don't need to, we don't need to address that. So funny.
2: Um,
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. In that article, uh, Albert Brooks talked about rip torn as well and how the studio didn't want rip torn. I guess he hadn't worked in a while. But Albert Brooks really pushed for him. And I guess he, it sounds like he might have been difficult to work with, but that he gave him so many takes, like surprising things that he did with it that he felt like it was really worth it at the end.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, he's notorious for being an alcoholic and mentally ill and very difficult to work with.
1: Didn't he like break into a bank or something not that long ago?
0: I don't know when it was, but yeah, uh, I remember hearing that story. Oh, and sad. then he's, and then he's married to the woman who plays Rose in *Accidental Tourist*.
1: Who's that? Oh, really?
0: Yeah, who plays William Hurt's sister?
1: Oh, wow! How funny, weird. Look I at think that. He's,
0: mu- he's he's much pretty- older than her.
1: Yeah, that's so it's kind of like us yeah (laughs) except i'm the mentally ill alcoholic
2: (laughs) just kidding
1: listeners um yeah and then the the prosecuting attorney is played by lee grant who i okay so i didn't know who this was and i was looking her up today and she's like a very famous well-known successful actress and as yes. I was going through and looking at her movies, the, these are all movies that I probably should have seen, and I just kind of missed the entire Lee Grant boat, <laughs> movie boat. Like, all of the movies, I recognize the titles, and I know what they're about, and I've just never seen them.
0: Shampoo was a big one for her.
1: Right, and she won an Academy Award for that, right?
0: Uh, I think she did, yeah. Mm-hmm. And But I think she started out like as like a contract studio actress in the 50s. Like... uh that maybe she was in some film noir stuff in the 50s and then i think uh she might have been a director at some point too
1: i think she was cuz i saw pictures of her behind a camera online
0: yeah she's very good as well in this and she's also not really a villain i mean she's just a lawyer yeah you know?
1: she's just doing her job
0: uh and the, and then she's actually you know kind of sympathetic to him in small ways although she's known as a very like tough lawyer
1: yeah yeah i thought I think, she was really great
0: I, yeah also, she's a great performance as well
1: also i read that she turned down dorothy and golden girls <laughs>
0: <laughs> really
1: <laughs> which i really wanted to say on the podcast for some reason
0: <laughs> <laughs> what would it have been uh that's b arthur yeah oh no yeah that's b arthur that's right b. Arthur. yeah yeah, so if it was uh, Lee Grant instead of B. Arthur, I don't know that uh, it would have lasted as long.
1: I don't know either. We'll never know. So. One of
0: those great Hollywood hypotheticals.
1: Yeah. It's so weird not being able to see you when we're talking because we keep uh, talking over each other just a little bit at the beginning of sentences. It's interesting. Anyways. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's not. It's. I don't think it's anything we either of us can help because we're not in the same room.
0: We're over the phone. We're right the now phone. I have uh, a dog on my lap. I at, do not. Who, I have a dog who's very needy and needs to be uh, petted and calmed.
1: All, all the time.
0: All the time. Yeah. Uh,
1: my dog is up in the room uh, sleeping in my dirty laundry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she
1: loves to sleep in the dirty laundry. <laughs> and I have a, a laundry bag, but I feel bad because I know she likes to sleep in my laundry. So I leave it on the floor in the closet.
0: Let her do it.
1: That's a lot of information. But it's in the closet. It's not totally disgusting. Um, okay. So uh, you didn't say many things during this movie. Oh, and we should say that we screened this in two sections. <laughs> the first half was before I actually moved to Portland, I think.
0: Yeah. We watched the – yeah. Maybe a month ago or longer.
1: And then the second half. And then we half, finished
0: it when you were visiting last weekend. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I've seen it enough that it didn't disturb it for me. But And you had seen it a few times before. I'd seen
0: it before as well.
1: Yeah. Um, so I don't know why I had to tell everyone that, but I just felt like I needed to own up to it. Uh, so yeah, so you didn't really talk, um, but I wrote down a few things. Uh, so this is a segment that I like to call Craig and Carla's Quotes.
0: <laughs> She's feeling her oats and Carla's taking notes, whatever they are, it's Craig's
1: Quotes. Uh, <laughs> so in the beginning of the movie, he is uh he just bought a car. It's his is it his fortieth birthday? Is that what it is?
0: I think so, yeah.
1: And so Albert Brooks bought a new car and he's um hanging out with his coworker friend who gives him a bunch of CDs, and I said, Is that the dad from 90210? And then I looked it up and it is.
2: <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, James Eckhouse. Um, which I had never I've seen this movie so many times and I had never Registered that that was the, the dad from 90210. I also haven't seen 90210 in 20 years, so I don't know why at that particular moment that occurred to me, but it did, and it is, it's him. Um, and so the CDs that he's given are kind of hilarious. Uh, I said I said something like, "Ooh, good music," <laughs> and then when I went to I was transcribing my notes today, and I was like, "What were they?" I mean, I know that the one is Barbara Streisand's Back to Broadway because that's the one that's playing when he gets hit by the bus. Um, Yeah, and I have I had that CD when I was younger. But here are the other ones I found it online: (laughs) "The End of the Innocence" by Don Henley, Ugh, (laughs) Greatest Hits by James Taylor, Yeah,
2: 1999
1: by Prince, Hell yeah, The Broadway Album by Barbara Streisand, Uh. (laughs) and Shooting Rubber Bands at the Stars by Edie Brickell and the and
0: New Bohemians,
1: Yeah, is that a good one?
0: I I have that album and I listened to it quite a bit <laughs> at really? that time. Yeah. So it's still, I like Didi Brickell.
1: Yeah, I don't really know anything about her except that she now tours with Steve Martin. <laughs>
0: right? And she's married to Paul Simon.
1: Oh, uh, oh that's right. I did know that. He's been married to a lot of women. Um but it's such a weird eclectic I don't know, collection, isn't it? Like I don't feel like any of those are in the same genre.
0: Well, I would say Don Henley and James Taylor definitely are. Okay. And, Ed- and Edie Brickell is kind of like a light rock kind of thing, too. I mean, it was kind of classified as like college rock alternative a little bit, but it's just kind of, it's like folky singer-songwriter stuff.
1: Okay. So then so then it is kind of all. And then you've got Prince. Which sure.
0: That's kind of the outlier there.
1: Fits in everywhere, though.
0: But everybody liked Prince in the 80s.
1: Right. And in the and recently, <laughs> the two, what do we what do we call these? The teens, the twenty teens.
0: I I don't know because we definitely we we were in the aughts, and now I guess we're in the teens. Yeah, but that doesn't seem right, does it? No, I don't hear anybody referring it to it as the teens.
1: I guess we need a few more years to figure it out, and then
0: people just say this fucking decade we're in.
1: <laughs> the Trump years. Okay, N- nope. Uh, <laughs> So then he's uh, driving down the street singing uh, a song from West Side Story with Barbara Streisand, which is so Is it funny.
0: Something's Coming?
1: Yeah, which is yeah. hilarious because something is coming, death. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Craig said, could that be a more L.A. street? Because he was passing palm trees and strip malls. And then I looked it up and all I could find was that it was in West L.A. So there you go
0: yeah yeah look like West Hollywood or like Wilshire Boulevard, San Vicente somewhere in that range
1: yeah agree it's always
0: uh, like so many movies are set in l a and so many movies that I saw before I moved to l a and then it's weird like seeing them and actually matching them up with places that I actually know
1: yeah, no, I know it's super it's super strange um you know, I think that uh you know who I think is such a genius at showing parts of L.A. that you don't normally see? I might have said this on the podcast before. Do you know what I'm going to say?
0: Quentin Tarantino? No. <laughs> because he is.
1: Paul Thomas Anderson.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, The Valley. Yep. Uh, I didn't understand the title Magnolia for the first few years that I that movie was familiar to me. I didn't right. n- know that it was all about, oh, it's Magnolia Boulevard.
1: Yep. Show sure is. Okay. Which, Which is what? In the valley. It
0: cuts cuts through all the valley.
1: Yeah. Yep. Because you got real nice parts of Magnolia Boulevard and real cruddy parts. It spans That's right. the whole thing. Um so then uh he gets hit by a bus because his CDs slide off the seat and he goes to pick them up and he looks up and he had crossed over lanes of traffic. He hits a bus head on, and then it immediately cuts to um him in a wheelchair in what in like a white robe surrounded by white walls and then he's being wheeled down a corridor and he's surrounded by mostly if not all old people in wheelchairs who are being yes. pushed. And then I said, uh, lots of white people. Um, cause I was wondering, and then I think I did see maybe two black people after that, but I was kind of like, eh, why aren't there any other people at judgment city?
2: <laughs> hmm.
1: Why just white people? Uh so that was my quote. <laughs> uh wondering why there was so much whitewashing. Um and then they're escorted onto trolleys and taken to their hotels. And it's funny because their hotels are based on how many days they have at trial. <laughs> so he's yes. he's got like a medium level hotel. <laughs> Maybe like a holiday inn, something like that.
0: Not bad, but not great.
1: Right uh but all the trolleys that they're on are actually old trolleys from universal studios did you know that
0: i did know that because i looked it up in the trivia but i was happy to learn that
1: yeah as well that was pretty cool uh so then the credits were rolling after he dies and all the the names start to pop up and craig said david finfer these all must be pseudo names for albert brooks and i said really and craig said no
0: (laughs) (laughs) there was a name david finfer yeah <laughs> yeah. That definitely definitely sounds like a phony name.
1: Phony name. But then I was like I totally bought it and you were like no, I'm just effing with you as you tend to do. Um
0: How many of Albert Brooks's uh writer director movies have you seen?
1: I think 3. I think I've seen this one. I think I I saw the ones after it, Mother and The Muse. Yeah. Or Muse, whatever it's called, which I I thought Mother was okay, but I did not like The Muse.
0: I, yeah, I didn't, I kind of felt the same thing. I didn't care for the muse. Mother was just fine. um, Real Life is really good. That's his first one. And that's kind of a, a parody of that PBS show that followed a, a typical American family around for a year. Oh,
2: yeah. Right. I was reading. It's
0: got that. Charles Grodin in it. uh That's really well done. And then he had a movie, Modern Romance, that I think a lot of people consider to be his best, but I've never seen it. And then Lost in America, which was a pretty big hit, if I recall, but didn't do much for me when I saw it a few years after the fact. And then he had Looking for Comedy in the Muslim World, which I've never seen either.
1: I feel like I tried to watch that when it came out, and I couldn't get through it. I was just like, Mm. ugh, this is not good. (laughs) Um. So so then he's like hanging out and he's looking watching TV and it's like all Judgment City type TV shows. Like there's a Face Your Fear game show and a soap opera um, and, and an advertisement for a, a buffet for all you can eat. Because in Judgment City, you can eat whatever you want and you're never going to get fat, which is really fun. Amazing. Um, I'd love that. Craig said, does this movie make you feel better about death? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm... The only fear that I have in life is death. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and did it? Does it?
2: Yeah,
1: it does. I don't know. I guess. <laughs> I don't believe it. Although the tagline for this film is oh gosh, I wrote it down. What is it? It is, uh, uh, oh, I don't remember. Oh, the first true story of what happens after you die, which I think is funny.
0: That's hard though. If your only fear is death, uh, and then you're supposed to overcome your fears because you're going to be constantly thinking about death.
1: Yeah, I I think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't love flying either. I'm not afraid of it, but I just don't like it. It gives me anxiety. I like flying. Because you're weird. Uh, just kidding. And but I'm fine with heights, though. Like, I wanted to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower, but you're not cool with that.
0: I'm not cool with that. I've been to Paris three times and have been to the foot of the Eiffel Tower all three times, and I'm like, I'm not even going up one level. (laughs) (laughs) It's too big. So there's something
1: about it being stationary that really bugs you.
0: Yes. Yeah. I I can occasionally face heights under the right conditions, but Eiffel Tower, no way. Not when it's. Open air like that.
1: And there's something about hurtling through the air without being able to see anything in front of me that freaks me out about flying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's safer than driving.
1: Uh, I know. Um, okay. So uh, we find out that Daniel, which is Albert Brooks's character, uses 3% of his brain. And he's been back to Earth 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> And just to give you perspective, his lawyer uses 51% of his brain and is basically a genius. So,
0: yeah, the, like those are there's two good running gags throughout, which is basically the sizes of people's brains uh, and then the number of days of your trial. And uh, it's all very subtle, though, you know, Uh That's one thing I just generally like about Albert Brooks's comedic style is it's very, like, low-key and subtle and doesn't go out of its way to point out the jokes to you. And things just kind of accumulate. You know, if you're paying attention and listening well, you'll notice, like, little patterns and little, like, running jokes uh, that he has that kind of grow in significance throughout the movie.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Um, He goes to a stand-up show. And this is where he first sees Meryl. Merle. Uh, Merle. His, his name is Julia, I believe. Julia? Does that sound right? I think that's right. Um,
0: Julia Child, yes.
1: <laughs> and the, the stand-up on stage is pretty funny. Uh, he's trying to do crowd work, and he asks Albert Brooks, how did you die? And Albert Brooks says, on stage like you. And I guess this was kind of a dark joke, because didn't Albert Brooks's real dad die on stage?
0: He did, yeah, he was a member of the Friars Club, and so he was like an old, like almost like vaudeville-y comedian, uh, and he was doing a set at the Friars Club for all of his buddies. It might have been a roast, even and but apparently, like he killed, like did like an amazing set, everybody was laughing, and then I think he dropped dead Ugh. of a of a heart attack or an aneurysm, maybe like right there on the spot,
1: poor guy, poor guy, so I guess this was Albert Brooks laughing about that (laughs) (laughs) i hope so um this is when you asked do you think this is the character most like who she is in real life and i was like i don't know uh rewind the rewind the podcast to hear that conversation again
0: (laughs) okay yeah
1: (laughs) um she was albert
0: brooks answered that question for us
1: right uh she was 41 when she did this did you know that
0: i did not know that
1: i'm close to 41 Hmm. Um. Uh, uh 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 okay so <laughs> he has oh <laughs> he has 15 days okay oh that's right so he gets okay so the number of days is how many days you revisit during your trial so yes the you're you're given a, a certain amount of days and that those are the days that you watch clips of from your life um that you're on trial for and he has 9 and she has fi- or excuse me she has 9 and he has 15
2: <laughs> yeah
1: so it kind of sets it up right away that she's a lot better than he is <laughs> um he goes to a sushi restaurant and uh <laughs> the chefs are hmm, what's the word um,
0: uh asian stereotypes
1: asian stereotypes And, uh, Craig was like, I don't, he was like, you could not get away with those sushi chefs now.
0: Um, no, but it's odd that I remember that scene as being like, oh, that was a really funny scene with all the sushi chefs and everything of like, at the time, I don't think there was anything tonally. Uh, unusual about it in terms of its depiction of of characters, you know, it is kind of a parody of the way you get greeted by all the chefs when you go to, which still happens, you know, right. when you go to a sushi sh- uh, restaurant these days. But yeah, it is kind of it's a little over the top and an extreme. Yeah, it's and kind of- uh, it would not be covered the same way these days.
1: Um, the the movie does start to um, I don't know. This is like these are like little things where it still could have done a better job, but. Uh, her lawyer is an African American man, and then the judge, the female judge in his trial, is black as well. So yeah, that gets a little better.
0: <laughs> There's not, some representation there.
1: Some representation. Um, yeah. Uh, and her lawyer is really funny too. Uh, okay. So what's the next part? Oh yeah. So they show a clip of him uh being too afraid to put money into Casio.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Uh and so he puts money uh invests I I guess in cattle instead. And Craig said, "I love that Casio is the state of the art company." <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is 1991, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah cuz you're supposed to you know think like, "Oh, wow, I can't believe he didn't invest in Mac or Apple or whatever." <laughs> um but are they
0: even still around
1: i don't think so we should look it up
0: and it's mostly talking about their digital watches uh but i had a casio keyboard um like a synthesizer that, that i got for my birthday in maybe 85 86 that was like – that was one of the most amazing birthday presents I ever got because of like, oh, a Casio keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be in a new wave band. I'm going to be so fancy on this, uh, on this synth.
1: Oh, my God. Uh, so dumb. <laughs>
0: And I could never and it had like 40 different sounds in it, you know, where it's like you hit the trumpet button and it sounds like a trumpet or or whatever. And it had, you know, beats, you know, (laughs) it had like 10 different beats on it and stuff like that. But I could never make anything I played sound like any of the songs that I liked.
1: Aw, poor Craig.
0: (laughs) Why blame Casio for that?
1: Uh, I had a swatch watch. Or Swatch Watches. I had a few. Mm -hmm. That's still around though, isn't it?
0: Swatches? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's still Swatch Stores at the mall, right?
1: I think so. Um, Which is so funny because I still just – I don't think I see anybody with a Swatch Watch anymore. I always just think of it as an 80s thing. Uh, So then uh, Meryl and Albert go out on a date and they go to the Past Lives Pavilion, which uh, feels a lot like a Disney ride kind of thing.
0: Yes, so feels they, like going to Epcot. Yeah, yeah.
1: So they stand in line, and then they get in there, <laughs> and they each have their own booth, and uh, a hologram of Shirley MacLaine pops up <laughs> and says, "Welcome to the Past Lives Pavilion." <laughs> it's so funny because, yeah, uh, because Shirley MacLaine is like into past lives, so that's why that's funny. <laughs> um. But she, I don't
0: think she says she's Shirley MacLaine, but I think we're all supposed to assume that she is, right? Yeah.
1: And he talks about that in that article for Vanity Fair as well, and he says that he like had to he went to her personally and like tried to convince her to do it because he knew that it would get a laugh just with her face, and that it was so great because it totally worked. Like all the screenings, people just started laughing when they saw that it was Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Um. But the thing that makes me laugh about it is when Shirley McLean pops up, uh, you hear everybody, because there's like a line of booths, and so there's all these different people in each booth, and everybody's like, oh, and then you hear one woman yell, oh my God.
2: makes me laugh so hard. <laughs>
1: oh, it's so funny. Um then they yeah. they cut around to the different people watching their past lives and there's an older white fat guy. <laughs> and he looks up and there's a hologram of a little girl brushing her doll's hair. And he's like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's um, a
0: very funny scene, yeah.
1: And then this older lady they they show her and she's like watching a sumo wrestler and she just starts screaming.
0: <laughs>
1: and then they show Albert Brooks and he's an uh, aborigine being chased by a lion. <laughs> and then they go to Meryl Streep and they're like right next to each other. And she says, who are you? Uh, no, he, he asks her, who are you? And she says, I'm Prince Valiant. Who are you? Dinner. <laughs> it's so funny i did not i did not give that justice do that justice you guys need to watch it um but it's great again it just shows like she's probably always had a good life (laughs) or good lives and uh he's been i don't know a coward for all of his lives i guess
0: i mean it's kind of a good joke on you know, people who believe in past lives are always like, "I was, you know, this famous person." You know, yeah. <laughs> whereas you know we might have been dinner most of the time.
1: Um, and then I asked you, "Have you ever been told you were an, you were someone in a past life, Craig?" And I don't think you answered me. <laughs> <laughs> have you though?
0: Have I ever been told
1: that? Yeah, like, have you ever had a reading or anything?
0: No, I've never had a reading.
1: I have. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh by your aunt? No. Oh, okay. Don't talk uh, about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh so you've been told you've had past lives?
1: Yes. I went to um an angel lady who like speaks to your angels and mm-hmm. she said that I uh th- there was a past life where I was a quilt a quilter, quilt maker.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which felt right.
0: okay and did you get into quilting as a result
1: no but i i knit (laughs) but that's great though right it wasn't like this big thing that i was it was just like yeah you lived in a cabin next to a body of water and you made quilts and i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) that sounds good um
0: it's so plausible
1: also when uh when i had my reading done she said that my angel presented himself or itself as a little boy, uh, with a bindle on his on a what is it called? Like a bindle on a stick. Or that's that is a bindle. Okay.
2: Right? Sure. Um, yes.
1: And that it meant that I would be traveling a lot in my life. And this was <laughs> when I was nineteen before I went anywhere. And I've done a lot of traveling.
0: <laughs> Have bindle will travel.
1: Yep. Pretty You're crazy. a hobo.
0: You're a, you're a itinerant.
1: I am. Uh lucky you for marrying me. Um okay, so then what else what else? Uh I guess we can cut to the cut to the fun part, which is the restaurant scene on their second date. And yes. so they're at this restaurant and they can eat whatever they want to eat, knowing that they'll never get fat or feel sick, that it just kind of is there. Um, and they just ordered all of this pasta and the server <laughs> the server said he was, he'd bring him some pies to cheer him up. And Albert Brooks looks across the restaurant and his prosecuting attorney sits down. And so he gets really self-conscious, like he doesn't want to seem like he's being... I, I guess it's like gluttonous or whatever. He doesn't want to be yeah. embarrassed. Um, and so this the server brings out pies and he's like, nine pies for you. Because <laughs> he's got <laughs> a hilarious accent. And Albert Books is so funny in this scene because he's just doing his best to like pretend like he didn't order the pies. <laughs> uh, and then Meryl Streep is slurping her spaghetti and he's really embarrassed about it. It's really cute. I love that scene.
0: Yeah, it's a fun scene. The waiter's really funny.
1: Totally. Um Ethan Embry was in this as a kid. He played uh in the in the flashback scene. He played Albert Brooks's friend, which I thought was interesting.
0: I don't quite know who he is.
1: He was a he was like a big deal in the 90s.
0: He was in a lot of teen movies.
1: Yeah, I think he must okay. be around my age, but he was in Can't Hardly Wait. I think, unless I'm confusing him, but I, I'm pretty sure he was in Can't Hardly Wait and some other teen movies.
0: Never seen that.
1: Oh, you're missing out. Maybe we'll watch it t- together. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't seen it since college, probably, but I would love to see it again. Uh, okay, so then he goes through trials, and he it's not going well, is the idea, and she's going through her trials, and it's going great, and it's their last night together before they both get their results from their trials, and she wants to sleep with him, <laughs> And he, he decides he can't do it because he's, he's afraid that if he sleeps with her, then he'll be missing her forever and ever because he knows deep down that he's going back to Earth when she gets to kind of ascend to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they don't sleep together. And then he goes into his final trial day and they show the clip from the night before when he says that he (laughs) he won't sleep with her and it's really sad (laughs) because they they all look at him like he's so pathetic (laughs) yeah uh and he kind of is um but it's also kind of funny because he blames it on uh like how on earth everybody's freaked out about AIDS (laughs) and and STDs. And so it's not that he thinks that she has one, but he just, you know, it's just drilled in his brain that he has to be careful or whatever, which I thought was a funny play on that.
0: I guess that is kind of a timely joke that plants it in 1991. specifically. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, and so they find him guilty of fear and they decide to send him back to earth. And the final scene is they're on their trolleys. Um, Albert Brooks gets on his trolley and he's going in one direction and she goes in another and they see each other across the way and they start waving and yelling at each other. And Albert Brooks breaks. Oh, this is the spoiler, you guys. So if you haven't seen it yet and you want to go watch it, he breaks out of his seatbelt and he jumps out of the trolley and he gets electrocuted, which is really funny. And <laughs> cause I just think that's funny. And then he runs across and almost gets hit by the other trolleys. And then he jumps onto the side of her trolley, freaking everybody out. Uh, and they're screaming like, let, let him in, let him in. And she's like, please let him in. And then it cuts over to the judges and the lawyers And Rip Torn says, uh, is that brave enough for you? And then Lee Grant nods her head and the judges let him go off with Meryl Streep. And that's how it ends.
0: It's a pretty great ending.
1: It really is. It's so great. And I said said to Craig, uh, one of the greatest Hollywood endings, don't you think? And Craig said, "One of the greatest."
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice ending. One of the greatest. I don't know.
1: It's one of the greatest. I love it so much. <laughs> it's so sweet. Oh, I forgot to mention the the their first kiss. It's so cute. Um, and I think she's amazing in that scene when they kiss for the first time because it's like really romantic, and they kiss, and then she starts talking about the chocolate doves or whatever <laughs> that are in her on her bed in her hotel room. And he, he's like, I don't have a chocolate.
2: <laughs>
1: uh it's so funny because it turns from like this romantic kiss into him feeling insecure about his hotel <laughs> compared to hers. And it's really funny. And I said, She's adorable in this. And you said, Yes, she is.
0: <laughs> and you're adorable watching it.
1: Thank you. It just makes me really happy. It's just such a fun
2: movie. It's very Well, sweet. you're a
0: you're a big romantic softie. Mm-hmm. And you like movies that just that just put you in a better mood.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so I, I think you know for any Carlos list thing that we do of like that may be a common theme, uh, as movies that kind of like perk you up. And I think most people are like that. Yeah. When they talk about their favorites.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's just really, it's just really fun. It just makes me happy. And I don't like all romantic movies, by the way. Some of them I think are s- stupid. <laughs> but this one, like, delivers on its promise, I think, which is, um, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's sweet, but it's also like, they're interesting characters. They're believable, even though it's kind of like this purgatory place. <laughs> They seem, yeah. they seem very real, and they, they seem like they – they act like they probably would have been acting on Earth, you know?
0: Well, that's something I like is, again, like how grounded and mundane it is, and it doesn't waste too much time, like, getting him – like, having him having to adjust to this new reality, you know? Right. Uh, like, and it's – the. The joke is almost of, like, how much it is like Earth, you know? And I I think they even say that of, like, we've designed this to make you feel comfortable. Yeah, (laughs) it's
1: supposed to be like Los Angeles, I think.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So, I, 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 despite the fact that it has kind of a a fantastic uh, otherworldly premise, it's all played very mundane and low-key, which I I very much like. Yeah. I just like his comic persona in general. Um, because he's, I mean, he's on the continuum of like neurotic Jewish comedians, but, and he, he's also kind of satirizing himself too, because he always plays a character who's kind of showing some obnoxious or self-centered behavior, but it's not to the same degree that like a Larry David would be. Or a and he's. <laughs> Yeah, I mean Woody Allen is more neurotic than obnoxious, I think. And I yeah. think Larry David is the guy who just keeps kind of poking at things. Mm-hmm. And uh but I think you, you very much sense that Albert Brooks, the character, and Albert Brooks the writer knows uh that he's making fun of Albert Brooks, the character in it. But then there's also kind of a, a weird sweetness about him too, where you know, you find him kind of sympathetic despite the fact that he's kind of obnoxious.
1: Yeah, in Broadcast News, I'm totally flabbergasted by why she would choose William Hurt over him.
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Anyways, that's a different movie though. Uh okay, Craig, what do you give But she
0: she ultimately chooses not, neither of them. Right. Yeah.
1: I know. Uh I've seen that movie. I know. Um <laughs> what do you give defending your life?
0: Hmm. Well, I I looked at my 1991 list by the way to see where I had it because I don't think I'd seen it since the 90s. Uh, and I, I always remember liking it. I had it at number fifteen for nineteen ninety one. Uh just ahead of Soap Dish, by the way.
2: Whoa. One
0: spot ahead of Soap Dish. And after rewatching it, I'm moving it up to number ten for nineteen ninety one. Yeah. It moved up five notches. Awesome. Uh and I think it's a B plus. Range? A minus B B plus, somewhere in that range. I have it right behind Terminator 2 for 1991. It's not better than Terminator Oh, my
1: God. I love Terminator 2. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I agree with you.
0: You think Terminator 2 is the better movie?
1: I love Terminator. We should do Terminator 2. I really do love it. It's probably in my top 20. I love that movie.
0: Really?
2: Okay. Wow. I don't know. I make
1: make these grand statements, but I have not sat down at all to (laughs) figure it out. Uh I love them. I saw Terminator 2 in the movie theater I think 4 times when I was 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs> uh I didn't see this until I was a teenager, this one. Um okay, so let's uh I got to get going here, but you want to improvise a quick scene? Sure. I did not think this through at all. I'm so sorry. Maybe we can do <laughs> uh maybe we can do the prosecutor, Lee Grant and Rip Torn, um the defense attorney. Uh like in the hallway after they've just let Albert Brooks go with Meryl Streep. Okay. Okay. Well, huh. I guess we did the right thing.
0: Oh, well, we sure did. Pretty, pretty great ending, huh? One of the all-time great endings.
1: I I don't know about great, but it was <laughs> it was fantastic. It was certainly very nice.
0: Are you kidding? That guy, he electrocuted himself. He. St- Stood in front of a bus? All for love. Uh,
1: I use uh, 68% of my brain. I never kid.
0: Well, almost up to 69, huh? Yes. 69.
1: Oh, I get it. <laughs> I was pretending like you didn't say it. I was moving past it.
0: Well, I said it. I'm hovering right about 54.
1: It feels like it.
0: Wait, why? Why so high and mighty with me? We, we should uh, d- go out and get some lunch sometime.
1: All right. This is not professional. This is unprofessional of you. I'm a lawyer, and I have uh, a very giant brain, and I don't really need to hang out with you to make myself feel better about myself.
0: You know that people call you Dragon Lady.
1: I love it. It makes me feel very powerful.
0: <laughs> Break into a bank with me sometime.
1: And I do I do spit fire, so you know.
0: Oh, congratulations. That's <laughs> fantastic.
1: <laughs> uh I need to go and I need to eat twelve lasagnas.
0: Okay. Is that is that Carla or the character I'm talking?
1: Uh you can come with me if you'd like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. You- yeah, I'd I'd love twelve lasagnas. That sounds amazing. <laughs>
2: The end.
0: All right. And I know you want to watch uh World Series Game 7 too, right?
1: Uh, uh, uh nope. <laughs> uh but I hope that your team wins, whatever that means.
0: They're winning right now.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to let you go. I love you.
0: Well, that was a Carla's list episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be periodically checking in with various movies that are among Carla's favorites. Uh, just to give her, you know, a little equal time. And uh, Defending Your Life was a really fun movie that uh, that I enjoyed rewatching, watching and uh, I can see why it's one of your favorites.
2: Thanks, Dave.
1: Have a great week.
0: You have a great week. And Craig's listeners, tune in uh, next week when we'll resume Craig's List with a little movie called Streetcar Named Desire.
1: Stella! The
0: list is an absolute good. The list is life.